Uh, in a recent message, we talked about church discipline. And um, church discipline, I know, is a really fun topic that people love to deal with. But um, but part of the reason I wanted to, to, to deal with it is not only because it naturally comes up in 2 Corinthians as we're going through 2 Corinthians 2, um, but also to kind of defang some of the um, the 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 fears that we have of church discipline because the reality is um, while we think of church discipline usually in the extremes when you know some there's some horrendous sin and you know somebody is brought up before the whole church or whatever um, uh, that's very 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 rare in fact in the history of new life it's never happened. Um, the most of the time, church discipline happens uh, every week. As Christians who are the church, we are the called out ones, discipline themselves, but then hold each other accountable and help each other. As uh, the proverb says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Uh, the old preacher said, I thought I learned this when I was in high school. I remember an old preacher saying, you have to determine whether something is a cold or cancer. If it's cold, you can let it go. If it's cancer, it needs surgery. If you treat a cold like cancer, you do surgery on the cold, then you um, you make the matter worse. But if you so you don't want to exaggerate the problem, but but neither do you want to minimize the problem because if if you have cancer and you treat it like a cold, say okay, let's just treat the symptoms. Then not only will it kill the person spiritually, but it also can spread to affect others as well. The Bible is really clear that one of the things that must be confronted in the church is divisiveness. There are a whole bunch of sins. There are a whole bunch of offenses that people can commit that aren't going to cause grave danger to the church at large. Divisiveness splits churches, breaks the heart of God. Jesus' prayer in John uh, 17 was for the unity of his believers. And so um, a divided church is hurtful for people inside the church. It's a bad example for people outside the church. So if a person is divisive, if they're gossipy, if they are, to go back to what Paul says in Titus, if they're argumentative, if they're, if, if they're constantly bickering over um, over things that are not important and making them divisive issues. If a person is in rebellion against the leaders of the church, if 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 the, the if the church has policies, if the church has um, uh, authority or has has uh, practices, if the church um, leaders have said this is the direction that we're going, and somebody is working divisively, uh, uh, rebelliously against that authority. That's the kind of person that has to be confronted. You warn them once, you warn them twice, and then Paul says, have nothing to do with them. This person is just going to be infectious, okay? So is, is it a divisive issue or is it not a divisive issue? Um, another thing I would ask is, is the person leading others astray? Again, Titus chapter 1 Paul deals with this and wants Titus to deal with it with, here in the church in Crete. Uh, Titus 1 verse 10, Paul says, there are many rebellious people. Again, you see this is a type of divisiveness. 
mere talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. Okay, um, by that, he's talking about people who um, they are trying to combine Judaism and Christianity, saying you can't be a Christian unless you're following the Jewish law. And circumcision would have been one example, one prime example for that with men. And so there were people that were saying, you can't be a Christian unless you follow all the law of Judaism and all the, not just the moral law, but the cultic laws, the, the worship laws, the, um, uh, the, the, the ceremonial laws and, 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 and the holidays and those kinds of things. Um, you gotta, you gotta uh, obey both or you're not a Christian. And Paul says, um, those kinds of people are rebellious. Okay. Especially he says of the circumcision group, verse 11, they must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things that ought not to, to, to they ought not to teach and that for sake of dishonest gain. And then in verse 16, he says, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything good. Again, do you, do you see the common thread here when we talk about what's cancer to the church? It is people acting in divisive ways, teaching in divisive ways. Maybe it's a legalism, Maybe it's just an argumentative spirit. Um, maybe it's somebody coming in and 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 um, and 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 dividing ho- households with unnecessary conflict. Maybe they're dividing households because of their own immorality that they're trying to get other people to accept or whatever. If the person is being divisive, they have to be taken. They have to be taken on. Second um, uh, 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 John, chapter. Uh, well, there's only one chapter in Second John. Listen to what, what John writes in Second John uh, 8 through 11. Watch out that you don't lose what you have worked for, but that you will be fully rewarded. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anybody comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house. Or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. Again, the principle. So, so there you get the idea. When we're talking about cancer, you're talking about things that are going to um, destroy people's faith, that are going to cause division in the church. People who are part of the church are, are claimed to be under the authority of the church, but they're acting in rebellion. Now, the bottom line is each situation needs to be addressed individually. What is dangerous for the person? What is dangerous to the church? Um, Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, For instance, I got a call from a church planter years ago saying, uh, Brett, we had a staff retreat with staff couples and... One of the staff went down in the kitchen to get something to drink in the middle of the night. And while they were there, they noticed that there were two couple, two, two people who are married to other people making out and being inappropriate downstairs. What should I do? So basically there was sexual immorality. People on staff are married to people on staff at the middle of a staff retreat, I said to that church planter, oh, 
no big deal. Don't worry about it. Just say one sin is just is no worse than another. Who am I to judge? No, that's not what I said. Obviously, um, that has to be taken seriously, and because of the, the not they're not just Christians, but they are leaders in the church. They are held to a higher standard, you know. And somebody may lose a job. Somebody's definitely going to be taken out of ministry at least for a period of time. There's that is a huge issue that if it's not dealt with, can infect the whole church. Another example: got a call from a, a church planter uh, more recently. Said Brett. There's a young lady in our church who's a volunteer and she leads a small group of some other young ladies. And she's just came, she's just come to my wife and me to confess that she has been sleeping with her boyfriend. She is sick about it. She's broken off the relationship. The relationship is over. She's in tears. She's like I said, she's broken. What do you think we should do? Well, you deal with those two, those are two similar situations in a way, but you deal with them differently. Certainly the idea for the goal for both is what is redemption? How do you get to the point of redemption? But here's a person who is a volunteer. Here's a person who is, has broken off the relationship. They are repentant. They are, um, they're sorrowful. They're young in their faith. You deal with that situation differently from how you would deal um, with uh, with the previous situation that I um, th- that I spoke of, the goal, of course, for all is um, is healing. Remember, in Hebrews chapter um, twelve, where the writer of Hebrews talks about God's discipline of us. And it's just a beautiful passage to keep in mind whenever you're considering needing wisdom about our attitude towards church church discipline. Um, the, the writer of Hebrews says, don't make light, this is verse five, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. When we practice church discipline, we're following the example of God, and it's not to be punitive. It is an expression of love. We're always thinking, what's the loving thing to do? And it's, um, it's to, to bring maturity, reconciliation. And so to the person being, if you ever, whenever you receive some church discipline, uh, uh, the, the right of yours is really, is really wiser. Don't lose heart. Okay. The purpose is, is healing. Verse seven, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Now, what does that say about church discipline itself? Let's say like, here's the analogy. Here's the parallel. If, if there is no church discipline going on, you know, if if we're not holding each other accountable, if we're not encouraging each other, if we're not, um, you know, iron sharpening iron, you know, week to week, then we're illegitimate children. We're, we're not treating people like family of God. If you love, there's going to be discipline. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. That needs to be our attitude toward discipline. Hey, we respect the person 
who has to do the discipline. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. The goal is holiness. Now, I understand some may say, hey, but it's one thing for God to discipline us. It's another thing for human beings to discipline us. Um, when church elders have to get involved, um, God has delegated his authority to discipline in the church to the elders. Um, and so th- how does God discipline us? Sometimes he disciplines us by the godly authority in our lives. If, if you're a child, it's your parents in the church. You come, we come under the, the leadership of the elders. Verse 11, no, ple- no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. And that's the goal. And we have to keep that in mind. When we're involved in church discipline, we don't want to fi- focus on the failure. We don't want to focus on the past. We want to focus on righteousness and peace. How, does, how can God redeem this person in this situation? Because that's the goal. Everybody messes up. Everybody falls. The Bible, if the Bible's filled with one story, it is the story of people who followed God who messed up and were disciplined. But it is always for peace and righteousness and holiness. So, hope that was helpful for you. Next time, we'll um, deal a little bit more with one other thing. Heavenly Father, um, again, thank you for your word that's living and active. This is such a discipline, such a, such a difficult topic that we don't really think about a whole lot. And so often the pictures that we have of it are, um, are unhealthy or, or exaggerated. Um, help us, Lord, whenever we're in a situation to always think, what would the Father do? What would a loving Father do? How would a loving Father treat a child that he loves? What's my responsibility to be your hands and your feet for righteousness and peace, for restoration and hope? Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks. Hope you'll join me next time, even though we're going to finish up with the church discipline stuff.